If you haven't already done so, turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we will, uh, we got started in that last week, but I thought we'd uh, go back and read the first 14 verses, and then uh, dive in where we left off on Wednesday night. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf and he also informed us of your love in the spirit for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, we left off in verse 7 last week. And there's a question that came up in verse 8. It says, he also informed us of your love in the spirit. And the question was, what spirit is being talked about? Uh, is this the Holy Spirit or some other spirit? And there seems to be kind of two schools of thought on this. There are those who believe it's the Holy Spirit and they would say that in, in saying that he's saying that the love that they had had its origin with the Holy Spirit but then there are others who would argue that no it's not really the Holy Spirit there but it talks about you know their true Christian love a love that comes from the heart or a love that is spiritual in contrast to a love based on the flesh. And the argument against this being the Holy Spirit is in the, uh, in the Greek, the definite article is not in front of spirit. Uh, many times it is in the scriptures in talking about the spirit. And, uh, like Romans 15, 30, 
Paul speaks of the love of the Spirit, and the definite article is there, but it's not here. And uh, so that's kind of the argument on that side. Uh, I think the argument on the other side that it is the Holy Spirit is if you look in context, he's been talking about the gospel, the truth, in you know verse 5 as well as you know the grace of God in truth in verse 6 and we know that the gospel came from the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to uh, to write the New Testament and I think that's probably the best argument that uh, this is talking about the love from the Holy Spirit. You know, much like, uh, you know, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, one of those is love. And so a love that comes from the Spirit, certainly from the Word as well, as we read God's Word and understand that. So that would be my thoughts on that, that... Uh, it probably is the Holy Spirit, but I, I wouldn't fall out with the other side either, because I think, uh, you know, what's said is, is true about that as well. I don't know if y'all had any thoughts on that or not. Yeah, Chris? So you say, I mean, in, in that term, you're looking at it saying he's, they've made known their love and they love the Holy Spirit? It was a love that came from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Right. I, I mean, I, I just think, when I read this, I don't have to dissect it to that level to get some meaning out of it. I mean, earlier in the verses, he's, mm -hmm. in verse 4, he's saying, you know, we've heard of your faith and of your love. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. And here it's, you know, we've heard of that again and again. It's made known of uh, to us, your love in the spirit. So, in that, uh, in that religious way, in that right. type of love. Yeah. So. No, I mean, I tend to agree, and uh, you know, but the question came up, so I did want to uh, to try to address that. So, any other thoughts? Yeah, Russ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if you didn't hear that, you know, Russ pointed out verse 6 as well as verse 10 talk about bearing fruit, which would tend to go along with the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, good point. Anything else? Okay. Uh, and then... You know, going on to verse 9, says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, he says, since the day we heard uh, of it and of them, says we haven't ceased to pray for you. So, Paul had received good news about the Christians there from Epaphras, as he's, he pointed out in verse 7. 
And that prompted him and those with him to pray for them, uh, to offer prayers of thanksgiving on their behalf, as well as you know, praying for them in other ways that we'll get into in a moment. Uh, you know, they, they ha also had requests to them. But it talks about, you know, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, where else in the scriptures do we find praying and not ceasing together? Daniel? First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. A really short verse. Pray without ceasing. So, does that mean we got to pray every moment of every day? I've heard some that would argue that. That every moment of every day you have to be praying. But then you also have to rejoice always. That is true. Right. Really good point. Gary. I think it's just being mindful that God is, is that he, he is with us. And just as you would be walking down the road and you would see something and you make a comment to the guy that you were walking with, it's the same with God. I, if I'm driving to work in the morning watching a beautiful sunset and the clouds and the sky and Everything just makes a perfect picture. I don't hesitate to praise God for his artistic ability and right. his wonder and creation. Okay. Let me illustrate it this way. What happens if we cease eating? Some people have tried that back long, long ago. There was a guy that was incarcerated in Ireland, I think. Bobby Sands. I don't know if any of you remember him or not. But uh, talked about the Bobby Sands diet. He went on a hunger strike. That's what he did. You know, protesting his being incarcerated. And uh, he just about died uh, from that. And I don't know what all happened to him. But if you cease eating, you'll die. And there are certainly people who have starved themselves to death. Does that mean you have to eat constantly every moment of every day? Well, that produces a lot of problems too. <laughs> so, Eat on a regular basis to be healthy. So I think pray without ceasing would fall into that category. We should pray regularly. Prayer should be a regular part of our life. If we cease to, we'll die spiritually. I think that's the idea behind that.
So, uh, I thought I'd share that with you because, you know, the idea of praying without ceasing does, you know, cause some confusion at times. Yeah, Mindy. And so he, he goes on also to talk about that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, you know, this idea of being filled uh, with the knowledge of God's word, that kind of introduces the idea of maturity and growth. And growth requires time. But Paul wanted to see them advance spiritually uh, and that faithfulness to God would impact every part of their life, you know, their thoughts, their emotions. And then the idea of knowledge here, uh, Paul doesn't use the ordinary word, the normal word for knowledge. You know, gnosis, it's gnosis with epi in front of it, a prefix that would make that more powerful. Uh, so they needed, you know, powerful knowledge, uh, something that would require study and meditation. Uh, this is the noun form of the same word that's in verse 6 of chapter 1 and at least in the New American Standard version is translated understood. Uh, if you look toward the end of verse 6, uh, you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. That's the verb form of that same word. That they needed a clear and full understanding of the gospel. Uh, and Paul was praying that they would have that. Uh, so I, I found that rather interesting as well. And having this would give them the wisdom that they needed. And, you know, wisdom is typically defined as the application of knowledge. Yeah, you can have knowledge, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't do you a lot of good. Uh, and so we need to apply the knowledge that we gain of God's will in our lives, in all the situations that we find ourselves in. And when we do that, we'll truly grow and become mature in Christ. So Christians need to use this wisdom and knowledge to make decisions that are best for them. You know, we, there may be things 
that are good or are not wrong, but they're not good for us as a Christian. And so it's important to differentiate between those and do what is best for us. And that's where the idea of wisdom and applying knowledge would come in. Mike. Right, and he's letting them know that I'm praying for this because this is really important. And uh, when somebody says they're praying for you and gives some specifics, that tends to get our attention and should. Yeah, very good point. Okay. Uh, Okay, one other thing that, uh, that I ran across that I wanted to share on this. Uh, not everything that seems good to us is good. We need to let God define what's good. And the way we do that is read and understand his word. Because there are a lot of people in the religious world who define things as good that God has not defined. And there's lots of people in the world in general that define all sorts of things as good that are not good at all. And, you know, we've we see that on an almost daily basis. But we need to make sure we're doing what God's word says we should do uh, in matters that affect the church as a whole. Uh, you know, there are churches that would you know, sponsor camps and, you know, food drives, uh, you know, schools, orphans' homes, out of the church treasure. And those things can be good as an individual, but we need to be careful that we don't go beyond what's authorized. And, you know, use the Lord's money. You know, individually we should support these things. But we have no authority to support these things as a local group, as a body. So I think it's important to make that distinction. Uh, but there are many who have not done that.
Okay. And then uh, in verse 11, it says, Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. We need to be strengthened or armed with the strength of God to stand up against the, uh, the powers of the devil. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 comes to mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, putting on the full armor of God to be able to withstand against the evil one against the devil. Uh, Mitch, did you? It, okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, so, I'm, verses 9 and 10 is something that I've prayed for people that I've been studying with that, like, I have, um, maybe they won't study with me anymore, or maybe they have come to the knowledge, maybe they've become a Christian, but maybe my influence with them, I, I'm not able to continue that. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very comforting verse for me, set of verses. It, it's used in Ephesians, it's used in Philippians. He prays this prayer for people that maybe he hasn't even been there to see them, but he is hoping that the Spirit will guide them, that they will continue to grow, even though he might not have any influence in that, direct influence in that. Yeah, good point. Yeah, there are a number of tie-ins in Colossians to Ephesians in particular, but also Philippians. And uh, as we noted in the beginning, they were all written about the same time during Paul's imprisonment uh, in Rome. So, yeah, no, very good point. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Caitlin. I think your sin is also uh, really encouraging, just in the way that it's worded. Um, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we talked about the whole increasing in the knowledge of God part, but bearing fruit in every good work. He doesn't say bearing fruit in spreading the gospel, which is Yeah, that, that's a really good point. You know, bearing fruit can be evangelism. And the influence that it has on those that see that. And so, uh, Caitlin makes a really good point. It doesn't have to be specifically talking about the word. But as others see the good works that you're doing then God gets the glory and they can decide hey I want to be a part of this you know Matthew uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 5 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount 
you know, let your light, uh, yeah, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, uh, no, real good point. Yes. Right, that's, that's an excellent point as well. Yeah, we can bear fruit all along as we're growing. <clears throat> Anything else? Those are all good thoughts. Chris? Yeah, I'm noticing too that it says you're increasing in the knowledge. And the knowledge is what causes your actions. You don't do things until you know to do them. He's talking to Christians, and he's telling them to increase. There is obviously room for growth here, so not sure. everybody's going to be at the same level and the same thing. And our problem a lot of times is we think everybody should be at exactly our level. So we read it, and we say, well, we decipher it in our hearts, in our minds, and say, well, this passage means we need to do this, so you need to be doing this. That can't, be the, that can't be the case if he says you're going to increase in the knowledge. There has got to be room for differences and for growth mm -hmm. in a lot of things. And I think our problem a lot of times is we don't allow that. If okay. we have determined what, what it means, that's what it's got to be. And if anybody doesn't agree with that, well, you're out. Okay. Yeah, Tim. In serving... We can bear fruit, so serving orphans and widows or building beds for a needy person can bear fruit, and we can be good stewards of our money that belongs to God by serving. So I'm a little bit uh, just curious about earlier with the, the authority on money usage here, but no doubt fruit is not just from evangelism. It can come in other ways where the serving is kind of the, um, the beginning step of that. So, okay. Where I was coming from, there are those that would take money from the church treasury and would support human organizations uh, to do those things. Uh, we as individuals can certainly do that. And, you know, we are told uh, in, you know, James 1, you know, we need to visit the fatherless and widows and their afflictions and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But that is an individual command, not a command for, you know, the local church. That's, that's where I was coming from. But certainly, there are things we can and should do to take care of the needs of those who are less fortunate. And, you know, and if we say, uh, well, I don't have the money to do that because I'm giving this to God, the Pharisees did that. 
and were condemned. Uh, yeah, I don't have the money to take care of my parents because I'm giving it to God. Uh, so, uh, so yes, there's definitely things individually we need to do. And so I, I want to make that clear. Okay, anything else? Okay. And then moving on to verse 12, says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So, he's talked about, uh, you know, being patient, joyful, long-suffering, but we also need to be thankful. Uh, and if we're thankful, this will certainly help us in our walk with Christ. Uh, so we need to be thankful to God for what all he's done for us and let that thankfulness be seen by others, the thankfulness and joy. And, you know, certainly God has done so much for us. He's given us a gift we can't, we couldn't give ourselves. He's given the gift of Christ. And pretty soon we're going to see that, you know, specifically here in this context, in the verses that follow about Christ in redemption and how important that is. So, in doing that, he qualified us. We couldn't have a relationship with him prior to that because of our sins. But now we can because of the grace that was given to us in the sacrifice of the Lord. Okay, any thoughts on that? John? can be a difficult concept uh, but we need to understand that on our own we couldn't do that you know and, and we saw that in the Galatians class you know law demonstrated that we can't save ourselves because 
To do that required perfect obedience. Man messed up. And we've all messed up. And then God stepped in and gave that sacrifice for us. We were talking about uh, uh, last week about the propitiation, the gift, the atoning gift that was given. Uh, God stepped in and gave that for us because we had nothing that we could give. But that doesn't mean there's nothing that we need to do. Uh, there are conditions on receiving that grace. I mean, I know people that think, oh, everybody's going to be saved. There's nothing I have to do. But that's not what the scriptures teach. But the things that we're required to do don't earn us salvation. It's definitely a gift. And the bearing fruit is our being grateful for what has been done for us. That we want to live the way God has directed. And so that's how I see those things tying in. I don't know if that helps any or not. Yeah. They didn't do what God told them to do, and God punished them. They, they figured out, oh, okay, when God says to do something, we need to do it. And then they got to have the attitude that, okay, God, we did this, this, and this. You owe us salvation. You owe us, you know, we did our part, you do your part. Whereas, you know, God keeps pointing back to Abraham. He believed in God, and he had faith in God, so he acted out of his belief. He did what God asked him. It's the same with us. Uh, faith without works is dead. We believe we're going to, with the right attitude and the right heart, do what God wants us to do and be about His business. Right. Not, not expecting that we, we did what you asked to of us. Right. Mitch. And I'll show you that I'm a fisherman by going fishing. Um, 
And so it, it's almost like trying to separate two things that are inseparable. That you have um, a faith and you rely on God, but you never do anything He says. Well, if you don't, if you, if I say that I trust you, but I never do anything you tell me to do, well, then you're going to go, I don't really think you trust me. I mean, you don't have to do everything I do to have trust, but yeah, you're, you're trying to split. Uh, two things that are not splitable. Yeah. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate to that fisherman thing. I'm a fisher from my father, but I don't go fishing. <laughs> I think I've been fishing once in my life. You need new last names. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> You're right. David, I'm going to raise up one more level. Okay. I'm going to say that we have a problem in general in 2022 because of the Enlightenment that happened many years ago. That decided that there was some sort of differentiation between spiritual life and physical life. And we're going to split them up. And so we're going to sit and we're going to talk about faith as an object and love as an object, hope as an object, prayer as an object, life as an object, and work as an object. And I would argue that you cannot separate any one of those things. You, you can't separate you can't separate the love of fishing from going fishing. And so, you know, if we're immortal creatures living in a creation that is mostly mysterious, then everything that we do has an eternal quality. Whether for us, for someone else, the world in general. And this is why people, why, why religious people have always said that prayer and work are not different. So, you know, we have this trouble of saying, well, I can't pray constantly. Well, then you're not a Christian. I mean, if you're working, that's prayer. Do you know if it's good work? Look at the fruit. So, you know, I think what, you know, Paul's trying to do, he's trying to slam all that stuff into what in my Bible is one page. Well, that's pretty dense material. Mm -hmm. And as modern people, we just try and, we try and split it off, and, and we're going to run into all kinds of trouble. Okay. Amen. Yeah. No. Good thought. Anything else? Okay. Uh, let's go on to verses 13 and 14. Uh, it says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, he goes back to, again, what God has done for us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Uh, ran into uh, this paragraph that I want to read to you because I thought it, uh, it stated it pretty well. That, you know, the verb has delivered points back to all that was involved in the past in making this deliverance a fact. 
It views life as a whole, or views the whole of one's life in the past as one fact, rather than referring to just one act in the past, such as our conversion, or to Christ's death. Used in this way here, it takes us back and includes all that was involved in our conversion. It includes all that is involved in our obedience to the gospel of Christ, as well as the provision that was necessary to make our salvation possible through Jesus Christ, such as his incarnation, perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection and ascension back into heaven. So, it's all one package. Kind of like what Ryan was saying. And it's not one thing, it's all together. And that was a delivery from the domain of darkness, which would be, you know, Satan's realm, uh, where Satan rules. And certainly Satan rules in the hearts and minds of many men today. But I would argue that's not something that men are in by nature, but a state that they choose to be in. But then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, rescued us from the bondage and guilt of sin. Romans 1.16 talks about the power of God to salvation. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we can be delivered from that domain of darkness into the kingdom, the place of light. By the sun and what the sun has done for us. The idea of darkness is an interesting concept. If you try to put a definition on darkness, it's really the absence of light. If there is no light, then there's darkness. And I would say Physically, we rarely experience total darkness. I remember one time I was in Mammoth Cave. They took us down, you know, we're in the cave and into this big room in the cave. And there were benches there. And they told us, sit down on the benches. Everybody sat down. And then they warned us. They said, we're going to turn out the lights. Don't, uh, don't get up and go anywhere. Just stay put. 
and they turned out the lights. That was total darkness. I mean, I literally could not see my hand in front of my face. I tried it. Could not see it. Then the guide lit a match. Just, I mean, how much light does a match put forth? Well, when you're in the midst of light, not much. But this large room, you could see from one end to the other just from the light of that match. And that really brought home to me the idea of shining as a light in darkness. And what really one person can do if we let our light shine in the midst of a world of darkness it will, it'll make a difference. Leanne? I think it's so important to consider that Paul is including himself in his delivery from the domain of darkness, which mm-hmm. was the law of Judaism, which is what we just covered in Galatians. So it's so tempting to think that darkness is just an absence of God or sin, but darkness is just as much clinging to some view of God or that old law idea of God or rules that are extra from Jesus. Okay, good point. Good point. So, so I, I look at shining as a light differently ever since I was down there in Mammoth Cave. Okay, any other thoughts? And then he goes on, you know, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, The idea of redemption is the purchasing of freedom. Uh, You know, a slave could be redeemed by the a purchase. Uh, We are slaves. We were once enslaved to sin. But we've now been delivered from that by the price that was paid, the ransom. Uh, And that price was the blood of Christ. And that's why that sacrifice is so important to us. But we receive that ransom when we contact the blood of Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, 
in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we receive the blood of Christ when we're baptized into his death. Okay, that bell says it is time to quit. Uh, We will pick up in verse 15 and, uh, you know, look at uh, in like 15 through 20 the role of Christ in creation and in redemption because they're really parallel there. And we'll uh, take that up Wednesday night and definitely try to finish chapter one.